Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on Tuesday, April 28th, 2020. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Book Bistro podcast. I'm Shannon, and I'm super excited for you to hear today's episode. Um, first up, we have an interview that I was lucky enough to do with author Emily Newberger. Her debut novel came out early in April, and it is phenomenal. It was so much fun to chat with her. We talked about writing. We talked about musical theater, about books, of course. It was just really, really great. Parts of it may seem a little tangential. I apologize for that, but I had a great time talking with her, and I highly recommend people pick up her novel. And then, of course, we will talk about this week's new releases, so definitely stay tuned for all of that after the housekeeping information. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Okay, so without making you wait any longer... Let's hear the interview. Again, this is with author Emily Newberger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon, and I am so excited because I am here today with author Emily Newberger, whose novel, A Tender Thing, released earlier this month. And I read it in preparation for this interview and was absolutely blown away. So I'm so excited to talk with her today. Emily, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. That's so nice to hear. So before we really get deep into a discussion about the book, could you give our listeners who perhaps haven't read it um, a little bit of an introduction to A Tender Thing? Yes, Um So A Tender Thing is a historical fiction book. It's set in 1958, and it's about uh, a young woman who is in love with musical theater, and she moves from the Midwest to New York City to audition for a Broadway show. And she ends up getting cast in a show by her favorite composer, and um, it's one of the most controversial musicals at the time, because it is the love story between a white woman and a black man. And so the composer casts this naive, untrained, white Midwestern girl in this um, leading role in a brand new Broadway show. And the book follows the making of the show from the audition process all the way to Broadway opening night, and um, also what the show means for the theater community and for the actors who are performing in the musical, what it means for their personal lives, and also 
becoming part of the political firestorm that the show turns out to be. So I was a music major in college, and as someone who has loved musical theater probably since before I was in high school, I was really excited when I first read the blurb for this. Oh, great. And then as I read the novel, I was just like, oh my gosh, like this, this is everything that I wanted it to be. Um, and you narrate your own audiobook, which yes, I, I think did, yeah. is super amazing, um, which was actually the copy that I had. Um, you listened your to audio the audiobook? Copy. I did. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> You're the first person I've talked to, um, like, who doesn't know me, <laughs> who's listened oh. to the audiobook so far. Um, I've yes. seen people listening to it, but I didn't know, I didn't get to talk to them. That's so exciting. Yes, it was really, really excellent. I'm always a little bit worried when I see that, like, an author <laughs> is reading their own work because, you know, being able to write something doesn't necessarily equate to being able to read it. Um, and I was so pleasantly surprised by your narration and your ability to not just bring your words to life, like, on the page, but actually through the audio narration. Thank you. You're uh, thank you so much. I was a music major too, so I think that helped. I was a voice major. Um, so that's why I wanted to do the audiobook. I just felt like I had her sound in my head so much. And as a musician, as you can probably understand, that's just really important to me in the writing process and just also like as a character, since her voice, the main character's singing voice is so important. Yes. Speaking voice. Yes. I was really, really pleased um, when I realized that you, you know, were actually narrating from kind of a, a performing standpoint, as opposed to just getting up, you know, reading your text and kind of a flat, very low affect. You know, it, it was very, um, it was very emotive. And I appreciated that. Thank you. We are big audiobook fans here at Book Bistro. Um, we have a few people who only read in audio. And so we, we talk a lot about audiobooks and narration and the ways in which you know, things work and things don't. So, so did they um, encourage you to do your own narration or did you have to kind of push for that? Um, well, most of them, they, most of the team, they knew I was a singer and everything, but hadn't, I mean, they don't, they didn't hear me speak that way very much. So no, they didn't ask me to do it. But um, as soon as I asked everybody, I heard some narrators and um, they sent me uh, other women who had narrated other books and I was listening to them and they were doing such a great job on those books, but they just didn't sound right to me um, mm -hmm. again, because I had such a idea of Eleanor's voice and it wasn't my voice but I felt like I could capture it closer because it was just such a specific sound in my head and I was thinking like well I'm I have the same training you know I have like voice you know I'm a professionally trained singer and um, vocalist and so I was like why not and I just asked and then as soon as I said it they were like oh yeah that's a great idea so um I recorded a little sample just to send them and then right away it happened and it was so much fun um to do it's very difficult so the people who do this all the time I mean you just have to be so specific 
they the the microphone picks up even the smallest sounds like your tongue on the roof of your mouth and oh, you have to go yeah. back and do it again and you don't realize that your eye kind of jumps through the lines and, and so the people who do this you know many many audiobooks a year I think like they're amazing it was it was a lot of work so did you go into a studio to do this or did you do yeah it? yeah oh, awesome we did it. We went to a studio in um, Midtown Manhattan, and um, I worked with a producer and an audio engineer, and I was in the booth. So I went. I had about five sessions of about eight hours. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it takes a long time. <laughs> yes, because then you probably have to like reread several times. Yeah. and make sure that everything is exactly how you want it, how the producers want it. Yeah, mistakes, just little, I mean, even your clothes, they'll pick the, you know, you move your arm and oh, yeah. you have to and, like, redo that muscle. line because you're, yeah, exactly. Um, all that little stuff that, you know, your ear turns out, tunes out in real life, but right. it has to be so crisp. Yeah, yes. exactly. Well, it is incredibly, incredibly well done. Um, and so Thank if you. you, if you do another book, I hope that you will also um, read it. Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> it would be delightful. So let's talk a little bit about some of the characters here. And this is a hard book to talk about without giving spoilers. So I'm going to be um, kind of intentionally vague, I suppose. So there are a lot of kind of nods to the musical theater of, you know, the 50s. And I was really impressed by the, t the sense of time and place that you were able to fill this book with. As you were sitting down to write this, how much actual like, research into the characterization of some of those like earlier Broadway producers and directors and actors, um, what was that process like for you to create the characters of like Don and Charles and to some degree, Eleanor, although, you know, Eleanor was not, you shouldn't grow up in the theater, um, but especially those people who were kind of longtime theater denizens. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's sort of a mixture of things. I definitely did research when I started writing the book, but also just going backwards in my life. I was such a fan of musical theater and such a student of musical theater literally hasn't like that's what I majored in in college but also I was just obsessed so as a child I watched all these documentaries about the making of musicals and I read these memoirs and autobiographies of composers and lyricists and also a lot of them have written books that sort of deconstruct their musicals and write about their choices of how they got to this lyric or that lyric and why this number was cut from the, from, you know, one musical. And now the opening number is this other number and what their rationale was. So all of that knowledge was in my mind as I started to write. And then, um, also I was writing this right at the very beginning of the me too movement and like around the 2016 election. So at that time, that we're talking a lot about Black Lives Matter and Me Too and all these uh, these social and civil equality movements that were already happening, but were suddenly being re 
addressed in a different way. And so um, all that stuff was on my mind when I started writing these characters. And I think the 50s was also a time of like brewing change, just like now. Um, so that sort of background was the fuel. And then once I began writing characters, I started to be more specific in my research. So um, for Eleanor, or for her friend Rosie, for example, who's also not in the theater, but she's, you know, like a typical young woman of the time. I read a lot of women's magazines and was interested in what they'd be talking about, what kind of clothes they'd be wearing, the sort of messages that those women were taking in from magazines and what that would be shaping their thought process and their social lives. And um, so for Don Mannheim, who's the composer, uh, I thought a lot about those books that I'd read and composers that I knew about, but he's not really based on any one composer. But um, I was thinking in the background of these, like, these giants of the time who mm-hmm. um, just, I mean, musical theater was so much more popular then. So they were sort of like these rock stars, but they were also behind the scenes at the same time. So it was a um, rock star is probably a strong term, but they they were very famous and um so thinking about someone who's both like such an intellectual Don Mannheim is in the way he approaches his work but he's also just like at the height of his fame at the height of the fame of musical theater so he's both incredibly famous and incredibly private and um quiet in the way he approaches his research so that was less me researching how to do that and me just like than me thinking about like who is this person what would that person's apartment look like in the 50s or otherwise? Yes. Yes. So as you got to know each of your characters, like, did you kind of sketch them out initially before you started writing? Or were you able to kind of let them flow and get to know them in more of an organic uh, manner? Um, I think each character came a little differently. Don was sort of born that way. Like, he was just this difficult man that I thought of from the very beginning that's both very cold on the outside and very warm on the inside and like struggling to connect. Um, Eleanor was harder. um, And actually I started writing the book about a year before I wrote anything that's in the book now. And I was struggling because I had two stories I want to write and they're both in the book now, which is the fifties Broadway, like sparkles, uh, yes. fun dresses and lights cam you know um that sort of glamorous 50s broadway golden age story new york at that time you know girl in the big city mixed with the darker more socially focused themes of the book mm-hmm. and that broadway was also focused on at the time that because of the shows that i loved i knew broadway was focused on at the time the difficulty of being a woman on Broadway, a black person on Broadway. And I couldn't like mash them together, but they were existing at the same time. So I was like, how do I, how do I tell both these stories at the same time? And then Eleanor's voice sort of came through and I was thinking, what if she's like an incredibly ambitious person and that ambitious person would want the glamour of Broadway and would want to understand everything that's happening around her at the same time. So she sort of came to me very suddenly, but only after chipping away at the themes of the story for a long time. 
and her strong voice was like the way to sort of marry the two themes of the book together. So Eleanor's point of view is really the only one that we see here, which I really liked because it allowed us to really focus in on how someone, you know, with her experience or lack of experience would experience these huge changes in her life. Like we didn't really get to see, you know, what Don thought or what Charles thought Mm -hmm. or what this kind of random, you know, audience member thought. And so I really enjoyed spending time in Eleanor's head and kind of seeing how things evolved, even if like they were already fixed in place, she was sort of helping them evolve like in her own way. And I really appreciated watching that happen, like watching her have an effect on the way the show ended up. Oh, as yeah. well as the show having an effect on her and kind of helping her change and grow. Yeah, I really enjoyed writing that. And also like her character, just inhabiting her character night after night helps her grow so much. Yes, yes. And I love that she doesn't always get it right. No, like she, she definitely makes... does not. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, she kind of missteps sometimes and feels badly for the things that she says and does that perhaps are not as as kind or as thoughtful as they maybe should have been and yet she's able to sort of grow from those mistakes you know she doesn't just kind of stay in this like fixed view of things she's like oh you know this was a really like callous thing to say or to think And she really does want to do better. And I love that about her, even if, you know, it's, again, not something that we get right all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking a lot about the difference between, like, systematic racism and bias and prejudice or, like, systematic sexism and, Mm -hmm. you know, mistakes people make. And I was thinking about Eleanor as someone who in the beginning doesn't think of herself as being part of the problem because she doesn't necessarily carry around like hateful feelings. And because of her perspective, that's what she thinks problem. Like that's what she thinks it is to be part of the problem is to like actively contribute to hate speech discrimination. And then throughout the process, she realizes, like, oh, no, it's a lot about, like, who is occupying space, who gets to speak in a meeting, like, how I'm, whether she tells her family about what kind of musical she's in or not. And, like, all these smaller ways that she realizes she is part of the problem and also that she has the power to open up the space around her a bit more when she's more intentional about it. Right, because there are things that she says, you know, in conversation with Charles that clearly she intends one way, and he obviously, based on his own lived experience, interprets in a completely different way. And for a little bit, you have that kind of disconnect of, well, this is this is what I'm thinking, and yet this is how it's being taken by this other person whose experience is vastly different. Yeah. Yeah. Like when she says, I don't think race matters right? (laughs) at the beginning and you're like, oh, honey. (laughs) Right. And I think that's in a lot of ways, you know, a thing that people are taught to 
to think, you know, like my grandmother will say, she's like, oh, you know, I'm not racist. I don't think about people's race. It's like, but you, you do really. Yeah. And you should really not in a, in a nasty way, but we should consider things like race and gender and, and where people are just coming from, like what position yes. they're starting from. And yeah, so when she's playing this character who's like so much more um, like her character Molly in the musical falls in love with Luke, who's a black man, and they like risk everything to be together. And it's this huge sacrifice, especially on his part, but also the social sacrifice on Molly's part. And Eleanor has to learn like, what the stakes are for those characters and that that's not the same thing as what she's going through and um, that it wouldn't be as easy as like, if you're in love, like love does not conquer all necessarily. Right. You don't just like run away and have this fantastic life, even though, you know, a lot of our media even today kind of paints that as something you theoretically could do. Um, And I love the way Eleanor is forced to see that, like, in an ideal world, maybe this is what you would do. You could just say, oh, I love this person. And I'm going to, you know, we're going to get married. And that would, that would be fine. And yet life doesn't work that way. And I really enjoyed watching her come to that realization and allowing that realization to kind of move and change not only her character, but her way of inhabiting her world. Yeah, and then she becomes a better friend to Charles, too. She's, like, not a very yes. good friend to him at the beginning. And, um, like, if friendship is about supporting each other mutually, right. she's really and not able to do that at the beginning. No, like, she doesn't understand what it is that she is supporting him through. She just... Like, oh, you know, we're, we're actors, we're on the stage, we have these same experiences, and where they face some similarities in terms of, you know, her being a woman, and therefore, in many ways, viewed as less valuable than her male counterparts. She still has privileges that Charles doesn't have. Yeah, and he also, something about her desire to be successful almost blinds her to the ways in which she's not privileged too. like she doesn't want to believe that she is missing out on anything she doesn't want to believe that the men in charge aren't taking her seriously um I was thinking a lot about how um if you try to think about major female Broadway stars I don't know about most people but I think a lot of people could name several big female stars like Julie Andrews, Ethel Merman, um, Gwen Verdon, um, you know, these women or Bernadette Peters that like defined the stage in the time that they were performing. And there's very few male stars that you can think of who did the same thing. Like, right. like not that they weren't incredible performers, but like these star vehicles, these shows sort of revolved around these female stars. And yet the composers are men, the producers are men, the directors, choreographers, everybody who had the power, the negotiation power. So the women were selling these tickets and then the shows were entirely constructed by men on stage and backstage. I really enjoyed kind of the backstage look 
that we were able to get into like the rehearsal process and all of the changes that occur like in the music and in the dance you know those are things that I knew a little bit about because I've studied voice and I've loved musical theater for a long time but you don't necessarily see all those things and it was so cool to just be able to sit back and say oh like so this is how you know some of those decisions are made um this is what it might be like to do this job even in a time that's in a lot of ways very different from the time that we're currently in yeah yeah i i don't know how much that had the rehearsal process has changed you know like Obviously, the content of musicals has changed. The technical capabilities of the shows have changed. Like, now you go to Broadway, and there's there's so many special effects in right. almost every show. But I think choreographing a dance number and rehearsing a dance number, it still takes as long as it takes, you know? And you still have to practice so much and get that repetition down. And there's still these rituals in the theater um, that I don't think have changed all that much like if you watch videos of rehearsal footage from decades ago or like read these books it's like people were still constructing a musical in a studio with their imaginations and making these shapes for the choreography out of the ensemble and I mean that's kind of like back the basics you know right the kind of heart and soul of yeah. these performances that you can change the effect just like you can in a movie you know, you can make it very flashy and very visually amazing, but without the foundation of a good story and good acting and good music, it, there's not really much there. Yeah, and also just things. the way they rehearse, like, you still have to, you know, a dancer has to dance almost every day to stay in shape. That's not going to change, like, th those types of things. Um, not just like the content of the story, but the sort of everyday toolbox that a performer yes. has to have. Singer yes. has to warm up before they perform. That's not going to change. So you included a lot of, of lyrics and lines from the show. So did you come up with those on your own or did you have someone help um, like create, you know, some of the, the song lines? Oh, no, I wrote those on my own. Um, I actually wrote a lot more of the musical, um, both to help me initially, because I was getting lost writing about the show. It's like, what number are we on? Where are we? So eventually oh. I sat down and like mapped out what every number was called and what the scenes were in the musical. So that as I wrote it, I would know, okay, if we're in act two, then they're here. And this is where this, the love song happens. And um so I wrote the titles of all the songs and the content of the scenes. And then after a while, I went through and I wrote lyrics for several of the songs. Um, and a lot were in the original manuscript. And then when I was revising it with my agent, we decided to cut um, several of them and then repeat lines from the same song because it would be easier to follow for the reader. Right. Than okay. having to have like five different songs in their head. There's two right now. With, right, there's they... two with actual lines. There's several listed in the book, but um, the lyrics really only appear for two songs. So then did you also kind of write like the, the melody line? Because I noticed that you do sing some in the book. 
Um, and I've always wondered, you know, if it's a song that like doesn't actually exist in the world, like you can't listen to it and hear how it goes. So did you also then have to create like your melody line and just overall like tune? Yes. Um, Cause also if I had used someone else's, I would have had to like pay for the rights for the yes. audiobook, and it, that would have gotten so complicated. Um, I'm not a composer, so I was really nervous about that, but I've sang so much that I felt sort of where my voice wanted to go on those lines, and um, I played around with it. I had a, I definitely, while writing the book, had a really strong sense of what the sound of the musical was, but that was more about the orchestrations and the, the vibe and the the mood of the musical than like the actual melody for this line of this song. So uh-huh. um, I had to sit down and play around for a couple hours. Um, and then I landed on those melodies for those two songs. There is a, another book um, by an author named Amy Harmon, who has like some music in her books. And she actually had her son who was a songwriter um, write the music for her. And so I thought that that was a really cool way of like having some originality, but also not having to do some of the stuff of like already published music. Oh, yeah, so that I, legal I thought that worked. Headache. Yes. Yes. That's really I imagine. good. I mean, there's also there's one point in the audiobook where there's a lyric from um, a George and Ira Gershwin song. And I had to record oh, yeah. it like three times because I kept putting too much rhythm into like I couldn't sing the lines because that wouldn't be fair use so I had to speak them out loud but I kept naturally putting too much rhythm in the line because um I just know the song and I I, like did not want to say it out of rhythm like my brain right no these words go like this so we had to do it a bunch of times um so that we could avoid like the Gershwin Foundation coming after us. I did not realize um, that even like singing a line in a book um, would be... Yeah, it was the combination of like having the lyrics and having the melody. I could have had one or the other, I think. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I did not know that. I'm not an expert on that. So what is next for you now that a tender thing is in the world? Um, well, I've been spending a lot of time at home lately. <laughs> Imagine <Okay>. that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm working on another book. Um, and um, I mean, right now, uh, I, I finished grad school last year. And so then went right into like finishing um, the I got an MFA in fiction and then finishing all the edits and approvals and everything for this book. So um, I've been writing other things and it's been really great to have time to finally just focus on something new. And especially now that I have all this time. Yeah. So focus on another book. Um, But it's sort of an infancy right now, but it's been nice to have something to uh, really dig into during this time because I don't know about you but it's been very welcome anytime I can escape from the confines of my apartment even if it's just into an imaginary story so my life is pretty much lived like in and around books so (laughs) (laughs) you know this whole like let's stay home and like not see any people I'm just like okay (laughs) 
Like, that's yeah. fine. I've been I... reading a lot. Um, it's been wonderful. So we did an episode, um, actually aired last week, about the way this whole social distancing has affected our reading and, like, what we want to read or our ability to focus on certain types of books. Have you found that your reading has changed at all since the whole COVID-19 hit the world? Um, well, I actually feel really lucky. I normally... Like, I always want to read, and I read every day, but I work full-time, and then I'm writing, and so a lot of times I feel like I'm trying to read something that's going to help with a certain project or fitting in a chapter before bed or something, and so I've been really happy to have the chance to just sink into books that I've wanted to read for a long time, and um, so it's not so much that I'm reading different books as I've been, like, breezing through my list really well and I feel lucky because a lot of my friends haven't been able to focus on books especially like more complicated books like but I finally read Persuasion by Jane Austen about oh my two weeks ago <laughs> I know I know I mean I read a lot of her other books but hadn't really they haven't quite hit me the right way, which is funny because I love romance novels and I love love stories and, um, and I love classic novels. So I don't know why, but then I read Persuasion and I was saying, it was just the most amazing book. I don't, I think it's definitely one of my favorites. Um, but there was something about her tone in that book is so different than it's much more mature, I think, than her earlier books. And I mean, the characters are older too. And there's just, oh, that's, I think that's my favorite thing. But I've been reading a lot of like very dark war novels, which, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Normally I reach for, you know, romance or like mysteries or something kind of diverting. Um, But I've been sinking into like thick books. I think my mind just needs to stay busy or something. I read a couple of weeks ago um, a trilogy about the zombie apocalypse. And I am normally not a zombie person. Like, I'm not, you know, I don't watch The Walking Dead. Um, and I'm sitting here and I'm reading this. And I'm like, oh, it's the best thing. I'll just read, like, this trilogy straight through. It's like 35, no, yeah, like 35 hours in audio, these three books. And I'm like, I'll just... I'll just read all these. It'll be fine. Yeah. And it's like something about this uh, is calling to me right now. Something about these um, zombies. And I was listening to the show Cabaret and I watched the movie and I, I mean, I already liked it, but I was like, why am I so into this right now? And it's like a show about society on the brink of collapse. Yes, it is. (laughs) It's like, ah, yes. This is calling to me. Have you read anything lately that you would like to recommend? We really like book recommendations here. Yeah. um, I read Rebecca also for the first time pretty recently by Daphne du Maurier. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, I was expecting, like, incredible gothic novel. What I wasn't expecting was beautiful nature writing. Like, just the most gorgeous descriptions of the land around Manderley. Manderley? 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 Yeah, I don't know how you say that. Um, And I think that it was also really nice to read. Obviously, it's not um, 
really soothing, but no, the beautiful descriptions of the flowers and the grass and the trees and even the ocean. It's like right now when I'm just looking at, I mean, my window looks at a brick wall on one end and the Brooklyn backyard on the other. Um, okay. It's very nice to imagine looking out at this like, sweeping English countryside. I struggle with unnamed narrators. Like, oh, but she's so great. <laughs> I know, but like if someone doesn't have a name, I, and I don't know why, I was saying to Brooke, who's one of um, our podcast presenters, I said, I, I can't read something with an unnamed narrator. And she said, but it doesn't matter what their name is. I said, yes, yes it does. I don't yeah. know why, but it does. Especially when they keep mentioning her name. It's like, I don't think it would bother me, except that they keep saying like, oh, she has a strange name. Yeah. I'm like, well, then what is it? Like, if it's so strange, <laughs> why, why don't I know? Yeah. Or it'll say, like, they asked me what my name was, and I told them, like, well, good, now tell me. So do you have a favorite musical? That's so hard. Um, I do love West Side Story, uh, the, the, the music. I think it's, like, highly, it's, it's an amazingly constructed, like, book, lyrics, and, um, composition it's definitely problematic especially the movie so it's like not perfect um Uh there's just so many amazing musicals that it's hard to say I think Cabaret is also an amazingly constructed musical uh I I don't really know I mean there's there's I would say I would say I have like a top dozen and I think what I love the most about musicals is that you have the story that you're taken in to the way you are in a book, but there's also this emotional truth that the music gives you at the same time. So it's almost like you're getting hit on both sides. I know some people really can't stand the singing, but if you can just sink into that and sort of suspend your disbelief, it's like this intense emotional experience to be listening to the characters tell you their stories with the music on top of it. I tend not to like, like, the movie musicals. Um, yeah. Like, the whole, like, let's make Les Mis into a movie um, yeah. was was not super great. Well, but... actually, that's, like, something that I was inspired about to set the book in the 50s. Because um, I think there's this misconception that those musicals were very PG. But <laughs> that was because of, like, Hollywood censorship. And the movies right. of those musicals are... Or they have these, like, incongruous scenes, like in Carousel, you know, when he slaps her. And it's just yes. like, oh, they just, like, stick that in the movie. But they don't have any of the darker work that the musical does. Right. The stage musical to sort of ground that in something that makes it a critique of domestic violence, not just domestic violence stuck into a movie and not explained. Or Oklahoma, the movie, is just does not nearly get at the truth that the musical is, which like I saw the Broadway revival recently and I thought it was amazing, but I also thought it was funny that they were calling it like the, the modern Oklahoma, like the gritty Oklahoma. And Um, it was the same script as the original Oklahoma. It's like, that's, that's Oklahoma. It's, (laughs) it's a rough musical, (laughs) but the movies are just so sunny. And I mean, West Side Story again, is like not what West Side Story, the stage musical is. Well, I want to thank you so very much for coming on to talk to me today. Um, I could like go on with this for quite a long time, <laughs> but I'm thinking that people um, 
might not like what are they talking listening about to it. They're like wow this is kind of long and tangential <laughs> but if listeners want to find you online um what is the best way for them to do that yeah i'm on uh twitter at at emily g newberger and i'm at on instagram with the same handle Excellent. emily g newberger and e-u-b-e-r-g-e-r perfect well, this is a remarkable novel. I highly recommend it. Whether or not you are a fan of musical theater, um, I think there's just so much that it unpacks, so much to sit with as you read it. Um, I had a really hard time after I finished, like knowing where to go next. Oh, thank you. And I That's can like the always... best feeling as a reader. <laughs> yes, and I can always like pick up another book. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like nothing nothing is is like this I I don't know what to do (laughs) so this again is a tender thing it came out on April 7th and as I said I highly recommend it and Emily thank you again so very much thank you thank you so much for having me now new books there are some great books this week I mean, I know I kind of say that every week because there's at least a few books that I'm excited about every single week. That's just sort of how how things work around here. But it, it's true every week. You know, I'm not just like putting it on. I'm not making it up. It's It's true. There are always great books. So these are books that either appeal to me personally, books that I thought would appeal to the general listenership of Book Bistro, or they're books that... Um, one or more of my co-hostesses happens to be excited about. If you are looking forward to a certain title and you don't hear me mention it, definitely feel free to get in touch. Um, The contact information is always given in the housekeeping information. And you can always just let me know, you know, say, hey, I really enjoy whatever kind of books. And I would appreciate it if you could feature Um, some more of them on the new release episode and I will of course do my best to curate these lists to better fit um, what people are hoping to hear about so sorry for some noise that you hear I'm feeding an elderly cat as I record this but anyway let us get on to the new books so the first several are going to be books that you heard us talk about on our most anticipated books of April episode. And first among them is the new book from Amy Harmon. I talked about this and it is Where the Lost Wander. It is phenomenal. If you have not read an Amy Harmon book, this is a great one to start with. Kristen mentioned a book called Incendiary. And it's the first book in a new series by Zoraida Cordova. And this is the Hollow Crown series. This is young adult fantasy. So definitely pick it up if that's something that intrigues you. And then we have a couple of mysteries, like thrillers, I guess, more correctly. Um, Natalia was super excited about Samantha Downing's second novel. This is called He Started It. And I read this. It is amazing. I really enjoyed My Lovely Wife, which was her first book, but He Started It, I think, is even better. 
And last up in this little grouping, we have The Split by Sharon Bolton, which is a book that Brooke talked about. And I also was lucky enough to read um, an early copy of this, and it is amazing. The setting is breathtaking. It's just so, so good. So those are some books that we have previously talked about. Now, let's talk about new books that you have not heard about yet. So first up is a book that was released on Monday, and this is Sunbroken. It is the 11th installment in Yasmin Gallinorin's Wild Hunt series. These are um, indie published urban fantasy titles, and they are amazing. I love The Wild Hunt. I love Yasmin Gallinorin. Like, there's just no way around that. I just do. So I highly recommend you start way back at the beginning of this series and pick up The Silver Stag. But if you're current, then you are ready for Sunbroken, The Wild Hunt number 11 by Yasmin Gallinorn. Let's talk about a new-to-me author. Melissa Hill has a book out this week called The Summer Villa. And it's about three friends who met years ago at this villa and now one of them is actually um has has bought it and has turned it into a kind of retreat and she has invited her other two friends back and they're going to supposedly have a really great summer but of course that doesn't happen the way they expect this is romance a little bit of women's fiction um, it looks right up my alley for a great like book to herald the impending arrival of summer and it is the summer villa by melissa hill brooke is a fan of author kate white and she has a new book out this week this is called have you seen me and kate white writes um a series of mysteries about a woman named Bailey Weggins, but she also writes some standalones and have you seen me is a standalone um that deals with like repressed memories. It, it just looks very intense and creepy. I am excited for it. So this again is Have You Seen Me by Kate White. Now, Karen Harper, um, who is a really prolific author and writes like romantic suspense. She also writes some historical fiction. This one is romantic suspense and it's called Deep in the Alaskan Woods. It's the first book in a new series called Alaska Wild. And I really enjoy books set in Alaska. Um, I don't think I'd really like to live there, but I love the setting and there's nothing better then a creepy romantic suspense set in the wilderness. So I will definitely be grabbing this. It's Deep in the Alaskan Woods, Alaska Wild, book one by Karen Harper. This next book is by an author that I've never read, although I do want to check her out. I know that Sarah has really enjoyed some of her stuff, as has Brooke. So, so this is Suck It Up, Buttercup, and it is the second book in her first Fangs Club series. These are kind of lighthearted paranormal mysteries, from what I can tell. Um, not necessarily like my favorite, the kind of light, fluffy mysteries, but I do want to give some of her other stuff a try. So this, once again, is Suck It Up, Buttercup, and it is book two in the first Fangs Club series by Kristen Painter. 
Amelia Hutchins writes a series called The Fae Chronicles, and she is releasing the sixth installment this week. This is called Embracing Destiny. I have never read this author, but as I've kind of been really hard hitting um, urban fantasy for the past little while, and the rest of the book beastresses have as well, I've kind of had my eye out for new authors that none of us have read, and Amelia Hutchins is someone whose name comes up quite a bit. So anyway, this one is the sixth installment. This is called Embracing Destiny, and it is in her Fae Chronicles series. Amanda Boucher. Many of you may remember her Kingmaker trilogy um, started out with A Promise of Fire, and those did so, so well a few years ago. And last year, she wrote the first book in a science fiction series. So the second one is out this week, and this is Starbreaker, and it is the second book in the Night Chaser series. Um, science fiction romance, a touch of kind of the space opera thing going on. Um, I am not always a fan of science fiction, but Amanda Boucher is very, very talented, so I will probably end up giving this one a try. It is Starbreaker, Night Chaser, book two by Amanda Boucher. This next book makes me so, so happy. So this is The Unbound Queen, and it is the third book in a series that I read, gosh, probably six years ago. Um, I read the first book, and the second book came out a couple of years later, and now this one is finally out. So this is The Unbound Queen, and it is the third book in the Four Arts series by M.J. Scott. This is... Um, kind of high fantasy with some romance, some really cool court intrigue, lots of great political machinations here. Um, I will probably reread the first book and then just zoom right through these because it's been a while since I've been in this world and I just feel like I need to kind of reconnect before I pick up this last book. So this again is The Unbound Queen for Arts number three, and it's by M.J. Scott. Next up, we have a couple of historical mysteries. This one is A Fatal Finale, and it's the first book in the Ella Shane series by Kathleen Marple Culp. And it is set in Gilded Age New York, which I absolutely love. And our lead, Ella Shane, is an opera singer who is investigating a murder. Um, some of you may know, some of you may not. I used to sing opera professionally, and so I'm really interested in the way opera singers are depicted in fiction, especially in historical fiction. So I'm pretty, pretty stoked about this. It is a fatal finale, and it is the first book in the Ella Shane series by Kathleen Marple Kolb. And then we also have Murder on Pleasant Avenue by Victoria Thompson. This is book 23 in her Gaslight Mystery series. 
And I have not read these, um, but I have read her counterfeit lady books and I've really liked them. Um, books, they're kind of like lighthearted mysteries at their core, but they do have a few darker elements. They just make for really enjoyable reads. I've heard great things about her Gaslight Mysteries as well. So I do plan to pick these up sometime soon, although I probably will not start with number 23. <laughs> but this one is Murder on Pleasant Avenue and it is Gaslight Mysteries 23 by Victoria Thompson. This next book I have heard so much about and I really, really wanted an advanced copy of the advanced copy, but I couldn't get one. This is Take Me Apart and it's by Sarah Sliger. And this is about a woman who works as an archivist and she begins to investigate this prominent woman who died under mysterious circumstances. And as she becomes more obsessed with this subject, her grip on her own sanity kind of weakens and weakens. So I am really, really into this kind of thing. And this is a book that I will be reading so, so soon. Um, I've had conversations with authors about this. They've all really, really loved it. Um, people who've read it, who did get early copies, really loved it. So it just looks so excellent. It's Take Me Apart, and it is by Sarah Sliger. And we have a new urban fantasy. This is Death in Her Eyes, Children of the Fallen, book one by Erin Bedford. And this is about a woman who has been seeing visions of death her whole life, but she hasn't really known why she sees them, what they mean, um, what she's supposed to do about them. And then after a traumatic event in her own family, she's kind of swept up into this secret world of angels and demons. So yes, I really need to get my hands on this. It is Death in Her Eyes, Children of the Fallen, book one and it is by Erin Bedford. So I am really excited to talk to you about this next book. This is a historical romance, and it is the first book that author Scarlett Peckham has written for Avon, which is a pretty big romance publisher. So this is, like I said, it's called The Rakes. It is the first book in the Society of Sirens series by Scarlett Peckham, and this is fantastic. It is a kind of gender swap um, of what we're used to seeing in historical romances where the guys are these like libertines who just kind of run around and sleep with all kinds of women and gamble and smoke and they're just kind of lecherous and everybody's like, wow, you know, it, it's so great to be a rake. And the women are supposed to be prim and proper and not enjoy sex. And so what Peckham has done here is turned this completely on its head and you have a book about a female rake. And I loved it so incredibly much. Um, she has written another series that I don't know if she self-published those or if they were done with a smaller publisher, but um, The Rakes is the first book that she's done for Avon and it is starting off a new series that I'm really, really excited about. So again, it's The Rakes. Society of Sirens, book one by Scarlett Peckham, and I love everything about it. And lastly, I want to mention a 
rom-com um, by Priscilla Oliveris. This is called Island Affair, and it is the first book in the Keys to Love series. It's set in Key West, and I have heard so many good things, both about the characters and the stories that Oliveris tells, but also just her way with words. So if you're looking for something light and fun and sexy, and you want to just really you know, have a great time, try this out. It is Island Affair, Keys to Love, book one by Priscilla Oliveras. So this has been a little bit of a longer episode, but I hope that you enjoyed the interview and that you have found some books to be excited about this week as I have. I hope you all are staying safe and healthy as we continue this whole COVID-19 shutdown. Um, some places are starting to reopen here in the U.S. And if you are in one of those places, um, do take all the necessary precautions to keep yourself and your loved ones safe. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.